Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we geek explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's show is all about Avengers Infinity War. And right off the bat, I'm going to put up a big fat spoiler tag. Um, this podcast is going to be chock full of spoilers for the film. So if you haven't seen it, pause this, go see it, go see it twice, go see it three times. Come back, we'll still be waiting, and you'll be able to listen to an awesome discussion on everything concerning Infinity War. I'm joined in this episode again by uh, Chris Carter, who was my guest for the first episode. We went and saw the film Thursday night, and then I went again uh, Saturday morning, and we just had to get an episode just talking about everything that happened. We just wanted to talk about everything that we could. So um, we had a very long discussion Sunday night talking about anything and everything that we felt while watching this film. Again, if you missed it the first time, big spoiler warning. You almost can't talk about this film without spoiling something. The film is almost just one giant spoiler. So um, definitely listen in after you've seen the film and join us on this discussion on Avengers Infinity War. And I will see you at the end of the discussion. All right. So Infinity War. Holy shit. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Big time, big time, big time. So um, I want to put it out right now that this is going to be spoiler filled because I feel like you you honestly you can't talk about this movie without spoiling it. Like even today, like at work, a, uh, a co-worker of mine was saying like, oh, man, you know, I, I'm really excited to see Spider-Man in this movie. And just instinctually, instinctually, I was like, oh, yeah, man, he's going into space. And it was like, what? He went into space. And it's like, oh, fuck, like. I can't, like, you can't say really anything about this film without spoiling it. It's like one giant giant spoiler. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So what did you, what did you think of the movie? Well, for someone who's kind of been following it from the beginning, but only in the film aspect. I wasn't a comic guy. I followed it from the film. So that's kind of where my knowledge base came from. So when you first see uh, uh, the main bad guy at the end of the first Avengers, I didn't know who it was. I thought it was Red Skull at first. You know what I mean? (laughs) A lot of people. Who's this dude? Uh, But they did an excellent job of building him up. Just for me, topically, the movie... You are on this ride with characters you've come to know and love over ten years, and but you you're thinking to yourself, why would this ever? At what point in time would you ever kind of realize that someone from a different point of view be vindicated to do some of the things they did? You had, you know, Loki is an evil character throughout the universe, and that's really kind of the only one you people can identify with. But right. you know, this one the was fantastic they did such a good job stupid good you know it was it was it was great i really enjoyed the villain aspect part of it Mm. and i mean i feel kind of guilty about saying that especially with (laughs) you know how the way everything turns out and uh and I think that Josh Brolin did such an excellent job. Oh, phenomenal. Kind of, right? And and so so I, I loved it. I loved it, but mm. we'll get into why I loved it. But the first right. thing I think of when I think, what do you think of Infinity War? I think the enemy, the villain they created not just was 
there to be a punching bag. It right. wasn't there to be bad for the sake of being bad. Mm-hmm. I think that they really vindicated some of his actions. Yeah, his he had absolute pathos. Like, absolutely. Crazy good. And I, and I knew nothing about that. So right. for me, I think about that. What did you think about it? Well, and it's it's interesting because you, th- you look at Thanos, and I'm glad you brought this up because like that character across the across the Marvel film so far has had such a journey. Like you see him at the end of the first Avengers movie when it's like his fucking, his lackey is just like, you know, to fight them would be to court death. And you see him turn around and he's like, well, it's a good thing. I love some death. (laughs) And it's like, you see this like big, big ass purple face. And you're like, for some people, it's like, okay, who is that? He's going to be, like, trouble down the line. Right. right. But then, like, I, I remember some people. Like, I, I remember the the Avengers night. We, uh, and I touched on this uh, last episode. Um, for the first Avengers movie, I got a group of friends together. We all dressed up. Every Avenger was, like, represented. Nice. And I remember just being in my full, like, Captain America gear, just, like, standing up and being, like, Oh my God, that's Thanos! Yeah, like Thanos is gonna wreck people. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be over, and so even across from what the character was supposed to be, because I think I and a lot of people thought that it, with him being kind of the button on the first Avengers, like he was gonna be the villain for Avengers two. Right, me too. And so when they announced like Age of Ultron, Ultron it's like, yeah. well, I okay, I guess like that's fine, but like, where's Thanos? Yeah. And the uh, the actor that they had do that like little slow mo uh, turn reveal at the end of the first Avengers wasn't Josh Brolin. Right. He wasn't you know anybody of note. He was some guy who and I I'm so sorry I don't know his name, but like he was just in face prosthetics. He turns around. That's all you see of him. So we also had to deal with okay. We know he's going to be a villain down the line. We know he's going to be a big time villain. Right. We have to cast somebody who can bring that kind of gravitas to this character right and we saw the start of it in guardians we see thanos like full on for the first time Mm. and he's you know sitting in his chair with his big big ass like suit of armor right right. and he's like he's the guy in the chair and people made fun of it too of like all he does is sit in his chair like what is he gonna do right and even I was skeptical at the time because, I mean, at that point, I don't think they had really figured out what they wanted to do with him um, graphically, mm-hmm. like in a uh, in a visual arts kind of setting. Like they right. they hadn't figured out his color. His color changed so drastically over the course of these films. Mm-hmm. He went from being like a violet color to like purple to like blue to like yeah, the pinkish that we true. know they him now. They haven't settled on him. That's true. And yeah. he wasn't really given much of a character in Guardians where he was just like he was the guy ordering stuff, you know, giving orders from his chair. And he was like this kind of shadowy figure. And at the end of, um, was it Age of Ultron when he, you know, reaches in and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Like, it's the gauntlet for the first time. Like, we're like, okay, he's finally going to start, you know, stepping forward. And with this film, I really, I believe this, this film, Thanos is the main character. I agree. Absolutely. Like, they could have easily titled this Thanos Infinity War. Right. Because he 
had the most screen time. He had the most character development. He had... You got to see him in a bunch of different situations, Mm -hmm. both emotionally, both physically. And the movie immediately sets him up because... You know, they've decimated the Asgardians, like they're like walking over these dead bodies and the Hulk just like tears into him Mm -hmm. and starts beating the crap out of him. And Ebony Maw is like, no, 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 let him have his his fun. Right, right. And it sets it up immediately because when he's beating the crap out of the Hulk, he's not using any of the stones. He's not using any of the power for the stones. And you we would see if he was because they make an audible sound and the stones light up. Right. Him beating the crap out of the Hulk was just him. Him. Yeah. And immediately that sets him up as a physical threat. Mm. The fact that he has armies around him and like his own little mini event, evil Avengers squad yeah. like sets him up as a huge threat. And I think not only setting him up as kind of this badass, but also giving him that pathos that you were talking about, giving him this emotional range really makes him one of, if not the best Marvel villain of all time. Oh yeah. Hands down. And, and then I go back to it and you, you nailed it when you said you see him in different scenarios. So coming in for me again, mm-hmm. my only knowledge of him was I saw him in uh, the end of Avengers one mm-hmm. and two. And outside of that, I had no idea. Was he the same size? Was he as large as the Hulk? And right. I think, you know, not just that throughout the movie, and I'm sure we're going to touch on this later. You see him, uh, how he got to how Gamora and his relationship really, right. and in that, you know, in itself, it's rare to find these days in any movie, not just you know a Marvel film where mm-hmm. you've got uh, a main antagonist working with someone, a protagonist who you've kind of seen and really kind of grown with, right. and they have a history. And it's like, okay, well, it could have been written off like, yeah, he abducted me and wiped out my half of my, my planet. But it was so much more than that. It was There was legitimate tones and emotional feelings to that. And I thought that was such an, a great way to build right. that character. And, and for, for someone who's never seen him or had any experience with the character, as you, you look at it and I was like, wow, that is... They did a hell of a job. You know, you yeah. look back at the writers, and never mind Brolin, and never mind anybody else, but the writers did a fantastic job crafting this, and at the same time, bringing, bringing audience members along. Like, for me, Absolutely. I had no idea. Now I do. Now I have a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, my mom is now going to have a really good idea. Right, And so they right. did such a great job, but... But you, you nailed it. It could have been in Thanos Infinity War, and that would have been an apt title for this, because right. you see his journey to where he's at, and again... He is completely – I am a big fan of the righteous rage part of it. And he saw a problem and he tried to fix it. And his way of fixing it, albeit morbid, and I think there's a point when somebody says that, um, it's efficient. And for him, efficiency is name of the game, especially when ha- when his planet was destroyed because mm-hmm. of it, yep. because of the – the gluttony of of the species and you know you look at that and, and again it's a great microcosm for today seven billion people absolutely on earth and so absolutely but, but i thought that was good i thought it was interesting yeah and i mean when you when you think about it too it's like this could have gone so so wrong mm. this thanos like could have easily been a step it exactly <laughs> Stephen Wolf level failure because yeah. you know it's it's all the same 
when you look at it on paper, it's all the same pieces. Like, this character is a huge hulking CGI monster. He's voiced by a very prolific actor. And his goals aren't immediately clear at the beginning of the movie. And what they did is they crafted a film not around these characters that you have come to grow grow with and you have come to love over 10 years throughout this film they crafted a story around one man and his interaction with all of those characters you get to see someone who is coming into this universe of heroes and villains and anti-heroes and former villains in the case of loki mm-hmm. and you get to see him interact with them in sometimes really surprising and sometimes really practical ways like it's interesting to me how many points this could have gone wrong yeah and at every point they took the route which made this character so so deep right and i think that is chalked up not just a lot to uh, the direction not just a lot to the screenwriters but to josh brolin as an actor yeah and there have been like I, I was reading an article where Josh Brolin didn't film either the majority or at all with the actors that he worked with. Oh, really? It was always a mocap actor doing the work. He came in and did the lines by himself on his own. Because oh. I, I think he was filming Deadpool at the same time. So, him doing that is incredible. And the way that he was able to um, to connect emotionally with these characters in the scenes, like Gamora, the Gamora especially, yeah, yeah. the way that he was able to convey his emotion through just his voice right. was phenomenal. Yeah. I, I think that in all of the scenes that he's in, of course, there's, again, we'll get to a ton of them. That, to me, was the one that resonated most because it wasn't... A rock'em sock'em, which most of these, you know, they are. There, there's he's, right. he's in he's in a bunch of fun. But the one with Gamora, he feels you you can identify with that. He has to, and you know, we are doing spoilers. He has to give up what he loved, and the oh, the, the, the amazing the, scene. And the beauty of that is that she even she didn't know that even she no. didn't know he was capable was, of loving her. And I was the did, same way, you know. And and so I thought that was just that that was it. Just it, it so many layers to the character. Mm-hmm. And I thought that to me, when I think about the character, when I think about the movie, when I think about the part that, yes, the part with Tony and and uh, and, uh, and Pete at the end was was brutal. Oh, and then, you know, when uh, when Star Lord too, when you when Tony's oh, seen all these people, mm-hmm. but for me, when he has to throw Gamora off the ledge, oh, yeah. to me, it says you know, and there's like that whole you have to give up what you love mm-hmm. to get this, and it's like it this it makes you very aware of the price you have to pay. Right. That was fantastic to get I, to get ultimate power. Yes, right. The all you, you must sacrifice what you what you love the most. Right, and I think that was really, really ballsy of mm-hmm. of the writers too. Because right. you know that character has been around. Uh, Gamora has been around for what was she, uh, that? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. I want to say. Yeah. And I think that that was just such an interesting storyline. Mm-hmm. It was anyway. I'm, I'm, no, 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 dude. Know. Keep talking, please. You know, like it's because I think it's incredible how. They took you on a ride oh, God, in yeah. every scenario. And I, like, you know, I 
later on in retrospect, I felt a little dumb about it. But like, it took me on a ride too. And Gamora's like essentially mocking him. She's like, "Man, you came to the ends of the universe, and it, and now what do you have to what do you have to show for it?" And I was right. like, "She's right. He he doesn't love anything. Yeah, he doesn't love anything. But when he turns and he and you see that tear, I was like." Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. And it was it was fantastic. Um so uh do you want to go like chronologically? We probably what should. Because, okay, because cool. otherwise we're gonna jump and be like yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, inevitably we will jump. So absolutely, that. absolutely. But we will do our best to go chronologically. Cool. Okay. All right, so film opens up. Gorgeous t- ten years of Marvel intro. I love when they're Showing all the different clips, yeah. fitting into the Marvel logo. It's wonderful. And it it's so interesting because, like, when you get to a Marvel movie, you know exactly what you're expecting mm-hmm. with that intro. You're always getting the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, it's like that Marvel, like, all right, get yourself hyped and get ready. And it starts showing the graphic. And I, for a second, was like, Oh man, the, the person in the projector is screwing <laughs> up. Like, where's our sound, man? Uh-huh. And then I and then I realized I was like, oh no, oh this is yeah. We're starting to okay. Yeah. And then it like it cuts over and it's like a it's an SOS broadcast and it's like you know this is the Asgard ship blah 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 like we have people on board we need help like this is not a warship and you just see because you see at the end of Thor Ragnarok. They have that am- amazing little moment in the post credit scene between Thor and Loki where they finally reconciled. They're finally like going to move forward with their relationship. Right. And Thor says, I think everything's going to be just fine. Classic, famous last words. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, their little ship is suddenly beset upon by this giant ship, which of which we had to assume is Thanos' ship. Right. And so you see the aftermath of that. Like, it picks up directly. Maybe not directly. Maybe, like, a couple hours or something. But it's pretty close. Pretty close. And it just opens up on all of these Asgardians that were just decimated. Yeah, laying to waste. And it opens up with a really great little mini monologue from Ebony Maw. And you get to see all these dead bodies. And it's kind of a gut punch because, like, if you went on this ride with Mm -hmm. Thor Ragnarok and you kind of got this idea in your head, because they preached in that movie, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And you watch the beginning of this movie, it's like, okay, well, Asgard's really gone now because all the people are dead. (laughs) And you see, you know, um, Idris Elba's Heimdall is, like, just broken you know, still breathing, of course. And you see Loki surrounded by um, the Black Order. And you don't immediately see Thor. And you're like, what? what's going on? What happened to Thor? Mm. And after Ebony Ma does his speech, uh, Thanos, you know, starts into him. And you get to hear his voice, uh, which is so, so menacing. Yeah. Menacing. Yeah. And he's decked out in his full armor that we've, been seeing in the previous movies and you see just thor lying motionless at his feet and it's it's crazy and it's funny because right before the movie started 
I got there a little bit later than uh, Chris and Jess, but I got right at the end of the uh, cre- of the trailers. It was close. Yeah. And uh, Chris looks over to me and he's like, "I think Thor's dying. I think Thor's dying." And I was like, just instinctually, I was like, "You know, I think Loki's dying." And so we had a gentleman's agreement. We, we shook on it. We did. And in the opening of the movie, I see Thor lying motionless at Thanos' feet. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. No. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy opening. It is. It is. What I got from the opening, too, is uh, how powerful Thanos is. Because mm-hmm. what he does, like you mentioned Hulk. You yes. Mentioned, yes, yes, yes. And Hulk traditionally has been the muscle in the group i mean right you know from the first from Hulk the first, strongest there is yeah you know from the first avengers you get behind him and he's like it's almost comical that people try to go up against him you know anybody mm-hmm. that has eventually is gonna take a beating yeah. but watching thanos just beat the hell out of him and oh, was was crazy. like okay well if, what if if this is the best you got then you don't have anything and so right. when the part when thanos is holding uh thor's head Almost oh like yeah! And, just like, and, and then you get the visual s- scope of that part of it because you don't know how tall he is, you don't know how big he is. He's a titan, but how big is he? Right? How, you know, is he is he Hulk size? Is he twice? How big? So yeah. for him to see his whole hand, and this is again goes back to great mocap too, or digital effects, where he's holding entire whole oh, Thor's hand in his head, and it's like it dwarfs it. It oh, looks like yeah. you know, it's it's a doll. He's just like and, picking up an orange. Yeah, like. and it's. I thought that was great, and yeah. we are first introduced to the scope and the level of vindication and validation that that character will go to. Because mm-hmm. you said it, you said, and his whole ship gets wiped out. And I, and again, we'll, we're going to jump, but we'll come back to it. Right, of course. Thor is going to make a point where he says, "I'm the only one left. This is it. There yeah. is nobody left after me." So, and after this scene, he's he's absolutely right, you right. know, and he's the last one from Asgard left. So, yeah, and I I, I love because they're. Uh... They really paid off a lot of what we were kind of expecting for uh, Thor and Loki's relationship. Because yeah. at the end of Thor Ragnarok, you're like, they're they're brothers. They've, yeah. they've finally gotten to the point that they love each other. And I think, I mean, underlying, they've always kind of loved each other. Right, Dark World did but, that for me. I, right, you know, yeah. right. As, as poor as that movie was in retrospect, <laughs> like it did do a lot to grow that relationship. Yes. And... I, I thought it was so funny when um, Thor was like, we don't have the Tesseract. And Loki whips out the Tesseract. And Thor just goes, you really are the worst. You were just... And I, I, I laughed. Everybody laughed because it's like, it's so true. Right. And again, like as close as they are, Loki's still lying to him. Mm-hmm. And... But Loki offers it up as a distraction. And he's like, we have a Hulk, which is a great turnaround yeah. from the first Avengers movie where he has that conversation with Tony. And Loki's like, well, I have an army. And Tony says, well, we have a Hulk. Right. And you see Hulk just fly out of the side of the screen, takes Thanos. And Loki immediately rushes to Thor's side. And it's like, oh, man. Hmm. Like, it's, it's crazy. And even le- leading up to that... Um, you know, Thanos is putting his gauntlet at Thor's head, and Loki's like, do it. Right. Go for it. Right. Classic Loki. Classic Loki. But then you see as he starts to torture Thor, there were there were a lot of torture scenes at this point. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. But um you you see his his expression change, and you see that he doesn't have as good of a poker face as he used to. Right. 
and you know he tells him to stop whips out the tesseract and then the hulk fight starts and i loved i loved ebony ma just going let him have his fun and just the way he i I think there was a point during that little like initial exchange where like thanos like throat punches the hulk Hulk. and you hear hulk Hulk just whimper Mm. and it's like it because I've watched I've watched it twice now, and I had to think in retrospect while I was watching it the second time. Like, we were introduced to this kind of new version of the Hulk in Ragnarok, where he was he's essentially a three year old, like he has the mind of a three year old, he has the vocabulary of like a four year old, where they're having that conversation where like Hulk like fire mm-hmm. and like stuff like that. So it's like it's basically it's this three year old getting his ass kicked by like a seven-year-old and it's like oh i feel so bad for him yeah and then heimdall uses the last of his energy to open the bifrost and wisps the hulk away towards earth right and then we get the first major death where thanos takes corvus glaive's little staff and stabs heimdall kills him and I just I thought that was awful. Yeah. Because I I had the theory that Heimdall was the Soul Stone, like because he he says in the first uh, in the first Thor movie he says I can see over ten billion souls, like at any given time, and in his original armor he had this little glowing orange little gem right in the center of his breast piece. He has like the orange eyes. Nice. So yeah. I just like that was my guess. That's what I thought was going to be it. So they offed him, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess he's not the Soul Stone. <laughs> and, um, and then right after, we, that. right after that, we get like... Uh, that one was rough. That, that was one, rough, yeah. Especially from what you just said. And I, I think Tom Hiddleston really, to see him and Hemsworth's relationship kind of grow throughout those films as not just but as, as, as characters and as actors but I like them together I like do. you know and it's I like do. it's like two two just like two brothers who fight all the time but in the end love each other mm-hmm. and I think that I have a brother so it's like you know yeah. anybody who has a brother kind of feels that point something, you're going to hate them and you're going to love them and it just seems like that was kind of the natural progression of that and to see it uh, to see how that happened was 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 kind of a it's kind of heartbreaking yeah it, it it absolutely was and i thought that also like the way that he went out because like you see as they're getting ready to leave Thanos has now got the power stone and the uh the space stone and loki classic loki pops up he's like well if you're heading to earth you really need a guide and i'm really great at being a guide and it's kind of in retrospect you look at it like tom hiddleston wonderful actor Mm. wonderful actor he had to do so much in the little that he got screen time wise and watching him kind of jump from the loki that we've like come to grow with and then back to the Loki that we were introduced to made it almost, it it was almost like a full, um, uh, it was, it was almost like a full array of showing like 
this is who I've been this entire time. The character, yeah. Like it, it yeah. was it was a showcase of every little emotional beat he's ever had. Yeah. And he goes to stab Thanos in the throat and Thanos blocks him with the uh the power of the space stone. And you knew at that moment it was like that's over. Yeah. That's that, done. Yeah, and that that was hard to watch. That was that was, that was hard. It was clever. You know, and, and he goes out in true Loki fashion. Uh-huh, you know, I'm, like, I'm going to try and save my skin or at least live to fight another day. And, you right. know, I get it. it. It's worked for him so well. And, hell, you can't fault him for that part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he does go to his brother. And, like you said, this happens in the first 15 minutes of the film. Dude, I think film? it's not. Yeah, like it had to be like 10, maybe. So in, in the first 10 minutes of this film, you, you lose the main villain slash anti-hero in all of the Thor films and right. you lose uh, Heimdall who's been in all the Thor films and he had a big part in the last one in Ragnarok he had a, a he large absolutely part did. you know and so you know all of a sudden this uh, this is you know so in the first part of this film you've lost a, a lot of people and then I think that's where again I'm, I'm going to jump really quick but talking about previous MCU films, you don't uh-huh. really lose people until the very end, right? You know, I, so true. Granted, Coulson was was the first big thing, but that was outside that was, of that, that was Act Two. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, so, that wasn't even early on. So you don't lose a lot of people until after you know you've kind of been into a little bit. So here we are from characters that have been around for us. Let's just call it at least eight years. You know, you see him picked off in the first ten minutes of a film that. By a villain who you don't know, that you've only kind of seen, and you have no idea the powers of the villain. But it's, it's really something. Like right away, and in, in, again, you touched on it before. The movie starts. There's no flipping of the pages. There's no firing up. This is a normal rock'em. Let's kick some ass movie. It's like, hey, it's quiet. It's somber. And right away, there, you know, we've everybody's heard rumblings about. Well, it's going to be the darkest movie that we've done so far. And so, after the first ten minutes, you. Absolutely, believe it absolutely it. is. Yeah, you are right, for sure, Kevin Feige. And it's it's it. it's so sad because like even even just watching Loki die, because yeah. at this point we've watched him die too many times, and you kind of you get this little hope in you when it's happening. It's like, oh, this has got to be an illusion. It's got to be right. something. But you see the life getting choked out of him. And we play we play uh, Friday the Thirteenth game on yeah, PS4 sometimes, and one of Chris's favorite things to do as Jason is the bitch choke, <laughs> where as Jason he picks up the campers and he just chokes the life out of them, <laughs> and that that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and it was so strange to me, and I couldn't. There was something about Loki getting choked to death and watching like the life drain from his face right. that like. I, I recognized and I didn't know what it was. And then the second viewing, it came back to me. It was Glenn from The Walking Dead mm-hmm. where you watch like, you know, I mean, spoilers for The Walking Dead if you yeah, haven't watched you, The Walking Dead. Yeah, you guys gotta know now <laughs> what happens to Glenn. So, Like, yeah. you know, Negan beats the crap out of him with this bat. And at the end, you know, he's, you see him sputtering, his eyes Eyeball, popped out. Yeah. And... It's just, it's horrifying. 
And when you're watching, you know, Loki, like, you know, the blood's coming out of his nose. His eyes are also, like, starting to pop from, like, the pressure of getting mm-hmm. choked. Like, it's horrifying. It is. Especially for people who have loved this character for as long as he's been in these movies. Mm-hmm. And he just drops him. He drops him. Thanos sets fire to the rest of the ship, escapes with his Black Order, utilizing the Space Stone, and leaves Thor to just die. Right. And then we get, like, the title card. Like, right. That's it's how a, it starts. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the opening that's scene. That's how it starts, guys. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy start. We've never had a start as dark as this was before. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, from there, you know, it, it really starts to tie into things. And the basis they've built is so incredible. And, and you know, we'll jump to where Thor ends up. But we end up in, you know, in New York where all of a sudden you see Tony and Pepper jogging. And so the last time we've seen her was... I want is what is it in Iron Man three or it was an Ultron. It was it was, it was the end of uh, Spider Man. End of Sp- that's right because they were going to do that like proposal thing. Yeah, so here we are, and so now, and, and of course, in, in in true heartbreaking fashion, you kind of see two people who you kind of all say, oh, they're going to get together, going to get married, going to be great, and then <laughs> right away, you know, it's like, well, you know, maybe not so great, but right. uh, but yeah, I thought that was you know, you see uh, you see Tony, and then it was uh going to the rest of the film and, mm-hmm. and I think we see Bruce at that point and then yeah. and, and you see you see civilian Tony yeah you see Tony and Pepper in a spot where they're just like they're just a normal yeah. couple talking right and then all of a sudden Doctor Strange comes out of his portal and <laughs> I love Tony's line where he's just like you selling tickets to something right. like what's going on <laughs> and I loved Again, to jump around, I loved the banter between the two of them. Yeah. Because their characters are so similar, mm-hmm. like at their core, at their heart. And I loved all their interactions, all the snarky one-liners they gave to each other. Yeah. And this meeting really set that up. Yeah. And to your point, when you were talking about, you know, Bruce seeing Tony, like he hasn't seen him in three years. Which is crazy to think about. You know, right. like in, in the timeline... He wasn't around for all the Civil War, and you have the fallout between him and Cap. But, but it's it's when you think about all this, the stuff that's happened, a lot of stuff has happened. <laughs> so, you know that when you see those two guys and they make eyes, I'm like, man, that was a cool moment. That was a really yeah, cool. Absolutely. That was a. I thought that was a real cool moment. The Doctor Strange one. You're you're absolutely right because when we you and I actually went to go see this, and we're talking about how. How Stephen was a kind of a self-centered dude. He yeah, was very absolutely. In his own world, and mm-hmm. you know, I am the shit kind of mentality. And, right. You know, he had the accident and had that in a different world could have been Tony if if circumstances absolutely. were different. Absolutely. Know? So you have two very strong-minded individuals who think they're very right, who think they're very good at what they do, and they're both right. So right. you know, and absolutely. and and, and, and I. <laughs> You selling tickets to something? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they, and they had a bunch of like great lines well, with each yeah. other, like across yeah. their interactions were great. But yeah, you see him basically re- like recruit him. You see what's going on with um, uh, with with them kind of making a game plan, and they're like, mm-hmm. "All right, this is what's going to go down." And then all of a sudden, Bang. like this. You know, they see people rushing outside, and we get the first kind of debut on Earth of the Black Order, where we have, oh, God, his name is, um, 
They're new to me, so you're gonna have to be uh, on my Sherpa. I think, I think it's Black Dwarf and Ebony Maw. So Black Dwarf is like the huge hulking guy with like the axe, the axe and uh. everything. And I loved this introduction because Ebony Maw was a fantastic character. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. I was a little sad that they got rid of him so soon, but I really enjoyed the voice. The voice actor, I for, I don't know his name, and I apologize for that. Like. He was phenomenal, and he gave such a good performance as like this this herald for Thanos. Yeah, he's like you know, even in death, you're all children of Thanos. Yes, yeah. and it's yeah. like it's it's this propaganda. Yeah. It's this hype man. It totally is. Who's basically like you have you have the honor and the privilege of dying, dying. at the hands of Thanos. Isn't that so cool? Right. <laughs> and uh, Tony with his great one-liners uh tells ebony ma he's like get off earth squidward yeah (laughs) he just because he can't let it go and we get to see just how far tony has come with his tech right because and i forgot this i saw this in a post on instagram we kind of forget in the first iron man movie tony had to have like six different machines put the armor onto him yeah like you know, they have the little cranes putting on the shoulders yeah, and like it's like formatting a car almost right like it was belt. a pit yeah. crew and yeah. like he couldn't do it by himself and like it's progressed so much not just from like a performance perspective not just from a like a firepower perspective but just from the perspective of how much he has evolved as um as a scientific genius. Right. And like you saw in Iron Man three where he was getting like pieces of armor that could like propel that could like propel themselves and come to him. And now he's working with nanomachines. Right. Like he's, he's got, you know, a new arc reactor in his chest that like holds nanomachines and the armor builds itself out onto him. And it's, beautiful it's done it's done very convincing too as well right like absolutely they all, they all are this one is no no different and, and and so how far tony has come is i want to talk about how like how bruce has kind of i don't want to say regress i don't think regress is the right word right? i but but i but i get where you're coming yeah, from like when he tells him hey you're gonna get in the fight and he can't he yeah you know he can't get into the fight he can't bring hulk <laughs> on like he used to like I, my secret is i'm always angry that's right and kind of gone away and i think that that's never been followed up on which kind of bugs me that they've never followed up on the idea that he's always angry so he has control over it yeah every movie past that has always been you know the tried and true method of uh bruce battling with the hulk yeah for control which i think is is unfortunate but it also it gave him a great arc as oh, a yeah. character over the course of the movie sure and i know th- there have been um there have been certain criticisms of mark ruffalo's bruce banner because they've i've heard some people kind of say that bruce is almost starting to become a parody of himself hmm. and i think a lot of that is chalked up to him not having a lot to do yeah but that's true i think this took those aspects and really kind of brought out the greatest hits of Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner. Yeah. And to, to the point you were making about him not being able to bring the Hulk out, they touched this on a couple other times in the film. And 
I really, I think it's fascinating that the Hulk, and this is just how I read it, he's scared. He's too scared to come out because he got so badly whooped. seven-year-old kicked his ass. By, by yeah. Thanos that he's like, no, no. Whether it's like a pride thing where it's just like, if I don't ever come out, I don't ever have to face that again. Right. And I can keep my ego intact. Or if it's like, it's just based on fear. Where it's like I don't want to, I don't want to face that again. It could I'm be not... a combination of two, like psychology. Right. I mean, that's great. And you said it about Ruffalo's uh, banner too. That in, they haven't given him, given him a whole lot to do. I mean, Hal Ragnarok was basically, you know, Thor trying to convince Hulk to change and come back with him. So it's, you know, and Mark Ruffalo is a, is a fantastic actor. Absolutely, you know, he he's done some really good stuff. And so, just give him a little bit. But but I agree to to that point to see him here kind of take that because it is just basically him through the movie there the outside of the first 10 minutes there is no hulk right it's just banner and so that's interesting for people to see in an avengers movie where you have the hulk for all of 10 minutes yeah to see him get beat up and then all of a sudden you have to see banner right the genius that he is kind of work with what he's got now now right. and i think that's interesting to see how the movie progresses as well right and i like and i like that they immediately they kind of put him in this space where it's like he's kind of like at at his lowest point mm. at the be- at right at the beginning of the movie because he's essentially we've always been able to kind of rely on him and his strength and him kind of being like put on the side to be like all right now you're gonna sit down and watch the adults fight yeah it was it was sad yeah and it's like yeah. and I mean don't get me wrong. Mark Ruffalo is kind of like he's getting up there in age mm. and you get to kind of play with that a little bit. Yeah. Where, you know, Tony is saying, you know, you got performance issues. And I, <laughs> I, I love the moment where he's like, you're embarrassing me in front in front of the wizards. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was great. And then we had that great action scene, yeah. which in the middle of it, Spider-Man shows up and we're immediately like we get Spider-Man back. And I thought, again, Tom Holland as Spider-Man knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Um, just on all all hands. Yeah. I really enjoyed like their quips and how, Always. you know, Spider-Man had that little sequence where he had to chase after Doctor Strange who was being flown away by his cloak mm-hmm. and it was really it was a fantastic like it was heart-pounding and it moved. Yeah. And this is in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Right. You know, it's like this it's it's one of those movies that obviously starts and then doesn't stop. And I kind of, I think that's why they went, they were going to make two parts of it because they understood right. the story they wanted to tell. You couldn't tell it. And I mean, how this is almost three hours, two hours and 40 minutes runtime. Yeah. So I think they knew going into it. But to your point, you're absolutely right to see Spider-Man come back. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start to weave in these, these, these characters that haven't, you know, you see, you see Bruce, you see Dr. Strange, you see, pepper and tony now you see you know uh spider-man come in there and that's yeah. you know i think he does a great job and i love the distraction that his friend does on the bus oh, i need a distraction <laughs> oh, my oh we're all gonna die <laughs> i think that was that was a great laugh out loud moment and, and it kind of sells that relationship that you saw really grow and blossom in homecoming yeah it sums it up in that one that one moment because like ned doesn't need an explanation He's just like, okay, all right, I'm jumping into action. Right, he just does. He creates that distraction for him. And then 
Um, so basically, Doctor Strange gets pulled up into the ship. Spider- Spidey gets unfortunately pulled up with him. And the ship takes off. Tony takes off after it. And we get the debut of the Iron, Iron Spider, Spider armor, which I thought was really well utilized and really well realized. Right. Because in the comics, it visually, it's very different. Visually, it looks like an Iron Man creation. It's all oh. red with gold accents. Oh. Classic Iron Man color scheme. Where they went something a little different, and I think it took aspects from the Iron Spider, obviously, but it also took aspects from the Ben Riley Spider-Man from the 90s, and his costume moves a little more. Uh, the spider was larger. It went up and over his shoulders, the, um, the logo. And I think... Watching Peter kind of interact with this armor throughout the film mm. was really cool. I loved the arms, the spider oh, yeah, arms the spider that arms. come out of the backpack. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that Tony has kind of moved into this fatherly oh, role. Absolutely. Where as soon as he gets the armor on, he was like, all right, take him back. The parachute flies <laughs> out of his bag and he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> he gets pulled out because Tony doesn't want him anywhere near this. Right, right. But then, unfortunately, we see that Spidey is held onto the ship and he sneaks on and there the ship goes. Which, you're talking about the, and I love, and that's another thing about it too, and we'll go, well, again, we'll touch on it later, is the whole uh, father not trying to, hey, kid, don't mess this up type of thing. Yeah. And, and Tony, of course, wants no responsibility like that. And, you know, you know, he looks at him he's like oh this is so great you know whatever you say I'll do type of thing and he's yeah. like he looks at him with these big dopey eyes where it's just I, you know just give me something and so yeah. I think that was really cool I think that was fantastic for them to do that and it's just a continuation of their uh, um, their scene homecoming when they're on the ferry absolutely you know absolutely. and so it goes from a parent scored in their kid to now like oh well shit here we are in the same moment type of thing so I'm yeah. still gonna try and protect you as best I can but um, but yeah it was unfortunate how he ends up in the ship because you know later we see that's it's rough that, oh that's yeah rough. and then it kind of beautifully transitions out into space and uh, you you get this kick on song that just comes up and it, i loved that all of these characters had these kind of um these transition themes where like you know exactly who's about to show up yeah and it just, you know, you get the bold, like, space lettering. And you hear the song kick on, you're like, I know who we're about to see. Yeah. And the Guardians come flying in. And, like, they're just, it's another day for them in the life. We see that uh, Baby Groot has grown into Teen Groot. Teen Angst Groot. Is, who is kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he is, he, like, like, you know, most teenagers go through. I know I went through a dick phase I when I was too. a teenager. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's just playing his little game and... <laughs> everybody's kind of they've settled into that family dynamic that the guardians have really kind of always had but was really like grown upon in volume two and they get the distress signal it's you know another day on the job for them and you see these kind of interactions with uh star lord and rocket where they're basically saying um 
yeah, you know, we're, we're going to rescue them. They're going to pony up or, you know, give us a ship or something. And Gamora shoots him this mom look <laughs> to the dad being Star-Lord. And Star-Lord just gives her this, like, shaken head, like, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine. This silent, like, don't worry, I got the kids, we're cool. And they come upon this just decimated ship. And you find out that the SOS signal that the, that the Asgardians put out at the beginning of the movie was heard. And it reached the Guardians who happened to be near that same uh, space. And they're just, it's it's horrifying. You see these bodies flowing out in space. Yeah, it's, it's very real. It, it, it brings, it's, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not something, and I wonder how they got away with the PG-13 rating. I can see how... You know, the, it's a strong. But PG-13. yeah, it's like, hey, we are gonna push the very edge of this rating. But but yeah, it was that scene was uh, it, haunting. It, yeah, and it really kind of there's a gravity to the movie now. It's not it's not a fun in games like Guardian movies have usually had that kind of tone Always. in them. It's very different. Very very soon, and as soon as you see them. So, but but yeah. Anyway, so. right? No, and and I absolutely agree. Like it it evokes these um these war imageries oh yeah of like you you look at you know old photos of like vietnam for example mm-hmm. and you see just bodies right like aimlessly and, and just, right yeah. you see you know old pictures of like and i know this is a deep and heavy subject but like you see like concentration camps right. you see like bodies and ditches and everything and you just see that these as guardians were just tossed aside they weren't considered they weren't taken as human beings they were just massacred and left to rot and i think to your point it's really apropos that we get these fun loving happy time guardians happening upon this horrific scene Mm. and then all of a sudden thor hits their windshield and we kind of get to see this interaction between them and i really i loved thor interacting with the guardians it's hilarious that's probably yeah that's the best comic relief in the movie i think absolutely and i think them and i think it's um for me it owes a lot to thor ragnarok as a film and i keep bringing it up and i think i think it's a wonderful film it's one of my favorites but that movie did so much to transition Thor's character mm. from how we've seen him before um, in previous Avengers movies and previous Thor movies to more of a Chris Hemsworth Thor. Very comedic, great comedic. Because Chris Hemsworth is a wonderful comedic actor. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that this was the perfect time to bring them together, chemistry-wise. Mm-hmm. And you get to see how Thor kind of... Um, emasculates star lord yeah because immediately uh drax who is always the literal straightforward no filter says you know no you're a dude meaning to like star lord he's like 
this is a man. <laughs> <laughs> they, t- they talk, I think they say something like, you know, th- this is like if a pirate and an angel had a baby. Yeah. And, like, and you see just how insecure Star-Lord is because they talk about they're like, well, you, you know, you've put on a little weight. And I was surprised that they like, yeah, that they let that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, of course, like Chris Pratt's whole body transformation for the first Guardians was so publicly. Yeah. Like. It was a big deal. It was a huge, was huge deal. Yeah. Because anyone who like knew him and I, I Parks and Rec, I didn't watch Parks and Rec until yeah. after I saw the first Guardians movie. Yeah. So I was introduced to Chris Pratt in Guardians, and then went back and saw this kind of transformation that he makes physically, and to see that them kind of bring up like, oh, you're kind of getting you know the double chin <laughs> and your jacket's fitting a little tight, and you kind of look at him and you're like. Oh, he kind of has put on weight since then. <laughs> I'm surprised that Chris Pratt's publicist let that happen yeah, right? in any, like, how would they get away with that? Yeah. yeah. But again, I think it comes down to, like, the family dynamic and being able to make fun of each other. They can tease each other. They can get away but with But I loved how that, like, that immediately sets up Star-Lord as being kind of like, kind of like an emotional loser. Because mm. he was... He had his fair share of dickish moments during this oh, film. Big time. And at certain points, it made him really unlikable. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I loved the interactions between Thor and the Guardians and Thor basically saying, we gotta, we, we have to figure this out because he slaughtered all my family. And his interaction with Gamora where they yeah. say, like, Gamora's Thanos' daughter. And I thought right there, I was like, oh, they're going to throw down. Mm-hmm. They're going to throw down because Thor is an emotional wreck at this at this point in the film. Right. But he, you know, he puts his hand on her shoulder and he's like, family stuff. I get it. Which is incredible. That's such, it's such, that could have gone a very different way. Absolutely. And it would have gone a very different way had it been, you know, Dark World time Thor. Maybe, I absolutely I mean? agree. So, you know, I thought... And them kind of bonding over that was great. And also Drax, you know, yeah. talk, he, I didn't know that about Drax and Thanos. And so that, you know, he was on the vengeance for that. My favorite interaction though, for me will be, uh, will be Thor and uh, Rocket. Uh, yeah. Sweet rabbit. Sweet rabbit. He just immediately, he's just like, the rabbit is right. And, and, I don't know if Rocket knows what a rabbit correct, is, he never but he never it. corrects he never him. Corrects and he's just it. like, what? A rabbit. Yeah. Okay. And then, like and and again you get this great dichotomy of characters that you never thought either would interact or interact as well yeah because thor goes to rocket and he's just like rabbit you're obviously the captain of this ship and rocket <laughs> goes oh yes you're very perceptive right <laughs> and he's like will you will you join me on this quest cuz he decides i have to go get the weapon that will kill thanos i have to go to uh and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's uh, Nidavellir, like the home of the dwarves who are going to make him a weapon. And Rock is just like, oh, I would very much like to go there. <laughs> so he, Thor, and Groot pile into this little escape pod and they head off. And there's this wonderful little moment at the end where, you know, Rocket's like, we're going to go here and you morons are going to go to nowhere because they, they realize that nowhere is obviously Thanos's next stop mm-hmm. because ever since the end of Thor, the dark world, the reality stone has been with the collector and Rocket just goes, all right, you morons will go over there. And as they're leaving, Thor goes, 
safe travels morons like just again he's so dumb yeah he's so dumb and he's just very literal very like very much like drax yeah and they head off their separate ways and i think this is when we transition to earth back Mm -hmm. to earth to scotland right oh yeah 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 yeah. with vision and wanda Mm -hmm. and that was interesting too. I like, yes, how, I like yes, how they yes, yes, did yes. that after we actually just watched Civil War again, and you could see it. It had the buds in there of mm-hmm. it, and and it was nice they gave that relationship kind of uh, a continuation, mm-hmm. and I think that was fantastic. And I love the part, and I'm sure you'll get into this more than I will. When they say, you know, we have time, and envision like. It's funny you have these you have these superheroes, but they talk like a guy who likes a girl who's like, yeah. "Hey, uh, if it's okay for you, I, you know." And, and he stammers over his words, just, "Hey, it's okay for me. I'm, you know what I mean. I'm choosing to be here." And I think that was really a very sweet moment before it uh, before it kind of hits the fan. So. Right, and I I mean I would absolutely sign on for a uh, little short of just awkward Vision and Wanda oh relationship God. stuff. Yeah, but like. And this is also an interesting point is that, like, Vision, and they touch on this in the movie, Vision's evolving. He's becoming something other and something else and something more than what he was originally made to be. And you see, like, you see in that initial Age of Ultron where he's, like, he's very heroic almost and very, like, almost one note. Mm -hmm. And then... In Civil War, you see a little bit of him being kind of, like, awkward, you know, and it's very, like, easy, just, oh, I'm a robot living with humans, like, oh, I could have come through the door, but I phased through the wall. (laughs) And then you kind of see, immediately with him and Wanda, he's starting to take on these human traits. You talked about the stammering. And I just, that was the most human I've ever seen him. Right, right. Where he's just like, you know, I just, I mean, I, 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 I'm just going to speak for myself. And he, like, he really sells. And this, of course, comes down to Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany. as an actor. Mm-hmm. But you see him in this kind of puppy love stage where the two of them are having these rendezvous because they're at the end of civil war, they were on separate sides. Mm -hmm. Vision chose Tony, Wanda chose cap and you see how they've been kind of making it work for those years since then. Right. And they've been trying to live this kind of couple happy, like almost a fantasy life. Mm -hmm. He even disguises himself somehow to look like human Paul Bettany. Yeah. And I really, I, I enjoyed this more quiet moment because even at this point where you would think the movie would slow way down, mm-hmm. their interactions and all the implications of their relationship continue to drive this film forward because you know at some point in this movie, Thanos is going to come for them. Right. And especially Vision. Like, right. Like in- because he's got that Mind Stone in his forehead. And when Corvus Glaive shoves that spear right through his chest, it picks right back up. Yeah. And even on the second viewing, even on the second viewing where I knew it was coming, you know, you get settled in this really nice kind of quiet moment where Paul Mm -hmm. Bettany says, what if I stay? What if I stay with you? Mm -hmm. And suddenly the blade comes through Vision's chest and I jumped. (laughs) I still jumped. It still got me. And... 
it's just it's it's a wonderful scene and a great I think a great transition into the next action set piece, which mm-hmm. is um, the two of them versus Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight, and and I wish they would have touched this on touched on this better in the film, but Corvus Gr- in the comics Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight are actually married. Their oh, husband and I wife. Never got that. And uh, absolutely, you never would have gotten that. But like, their husband and wife and their relationship is really, really interesting. And I wish they would have touched on that more. But I really enjoyed that you got to see how dangerous they are yeah. as combatants. Yeah, the black or the black order, right? Yeah, yeah. So I knew nothing about that going in. Right. So it's it was really cool to see this type of thing uh, firsthand. No explanation. This just happens. And I thought to see what they did to those two characters. So have you seen Kick Some Ass? You know, you've seen him in Civil War. You've seen him in Age of Ultron. So, you know, you have an idea of how qualified these combatants are. Mm-hmm. And to see them kind of get the floor mopped with them. And right. It was, it just lets you know that it's real. There's like, it's... There's stakes. We're not messing around here. So, and then of course, during that, we have the... You we know, have the return the of Cap. Yeah. I, the, the bearded long uh, hair. Yeah, the bearded cap, long hair. The, the, the twenty eighteen cap. Which like, I hear the ladies love. I may I may love it too, but I I I wouldn't blame you. It's a great look it's for a him. Good look for him. And I was kind of, and I think it's funny because this is if you if you looked up um men's attractive trendy styles in twenty eighteen, mm. that's cat. Uh, yeah. He's got the flowing hair. He's got the, the beard. beard. Like <laughs> that's it's 2018 Cap. Yeah, and I think this is truly like Cap, kind of coming into the modern day and being comfortable, mm-hmm. even on like just a superficial level. Mm-hmm. And um, I think his redebut, where you see this kind of s- slow moment where the train's going by, you see a shadowy figure, yeah. and you're like, I know who it is. I know who it is. Yeah. And we heard the audience audibly cheer Yeah. when like that train passed in his silhouette, and you get the da-da-dun, da-da-dun, yeah. da-da-dun. It's like the yeah. Avengers theme. Right. And, and that, what, to me, was the first time in the movie that, that like, we, we've, as, we've, as the audience, have taken some losses. You lose Loki, you lose Heimdale, you see Thor beat up. He, you know, finds the Guardians, but he's still sad. You right, know, he's absolutely. still beat up. We, we know the stakes of the Gamora. We kind of seen, at this point, Tony and Peter are on this ship going to, we don't know where. Uh, Doctor Strange is kind of tied up right now. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of losses. This is the first time I can think, okay, the audience is going to get a win here. And you yeah. do, and you feel like it in the reveal of... of of that team now, so yeah. that was awesome. That, like I said, you get the music comes on, like okay, yeah, it's 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 time now. And so, and to it, to watch them to watch, you know, and, and I I've got a new respect for uh for Scarlett Joe to watch her play this character, and, and 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 also it's about and we'll get to it later. They Marvel's done a great job about really empowering females, at least characters at this point. So they're not just pushovers. They're not second fiddle in this case so i really the three of them you know with uh uh with scarlet and with uh falcon and, and with uh cap right the way they came in in clean house it's like man this is a for as good as these two were these three are much 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 better well and you see like just how much time because i th- the first time that these that those three Fal- falcon cap and widow we're all together was in Winter Soldier. And I yeah. think their interpersonal relationships is what made it 
for me, one of, if not the best MCU movies. And you get to see that as long as they've known each other and been working with each other, they run like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. You see Cap come in for the full frontal assault. You see Black Widow fly in from the side. She steals one of the scepters and starts battling Proxima Midnight. She's the only one up till this point to get a good clean shot in on one of the Black Order where she stabs um, Corvus Glaive with Proxima Midnight's staff. And then you see Falcon flying in and like, boom, 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 yeah. you know, causing the distraction. You see that they've been working together. And yeah. You, and you're like, this is the A-team. Yeah. This is That's like, what it felt like, these are the, these, these are the Avengers we've been waiting for. Mm. And even on the second showing at, and I saw the second showing at nine in the morning on a, on Saturday, even then when Cap, you know, showed up and you got that Avengers theme, people cheered. Mm-hmm. at nine in the morning like it was it was it was unreal and it really i think you're absolutely right it's that moment where we're like we're gonna we're we're getting our first win here yeah this feels like we're gonna bounce back yeah and then i think uh you want to pause it? yeah pause it. all right so i see you trying to stretch if we want to like just no, take a break no, 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 good. i'm okay you sure yeah, yeah we're good all right. We're at an hour and two minutes, though. Oh, man. Yeah. I think... All right, going back to... Um, yeah, I think that was really important to finally get that win as an audience because, you know, you, you, you when you're in a, a movie that kind of... You see your characters you really cared for getting beat up, beat down. As right. an audience member, it's rough on you. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, I think that was great pacing and timing to go back to it because, you know, we haven't seen what's happened to Cap since... Uh, Civil War. Right. Anyway, at this point in time, you know, I was thinking driving to work the other day. Are, who is who's who would you say is the most? I would important strong word. Notable Avenger, most popular. Would it be Captain America or would it be Tony? I think it's it's a toss up on any given I think day. So too. I, I, th- I mean, I know my answer. Well, right. But, like... but yeah, you know, we we had two Iron Man films before we had the first Captain Avenger or Captain America, right? Right. So. You know, people really kind of gravitate towards Iron Man. And mm-hmm. so that's... And how can you not? Because it's Robert Downey Jr. Right. And the way he plays that character, I mean, if I feel bad for the next guy who plays Iron Man. You know what I mean? It's like, God rest his soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but getting back to that, I think that that was great to see. To, and with the way they introduced Cap was they couldn't have done it any better. They right. really couldn't have. And so, you know, once the fight ends, and, and you go back to some fight if you want, in in the... And Romanov tells him, I thought we'd agreed upon our time. Oh, and yeah. it's like, it just goes to the flexibility of them understanding right and wrong, but at the same time, knowing there is a great space that people kind of live in. And right. I think that was really cool for, and it could have been a throwaway line. They didn't need to say it. There, there was no need for it to be in there. But the fact that they did put it in there, of course, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I yeah. It and really and cool. it's, there were so many little, little idiosyncrasies in this movie, like little notable um, touches to f- whether it was like just like a, like a little Easter egg or something that just like that like a line that helps uh, give more depth to the scene. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with that. And of course, you know, once the team gets up, they go and meet up with uh, with Rhodey, who is on the mend. Legs are still broken, unfortunately, or he's paralyzed. Right? He's paralyzed. You're he's, right. He's in the mechanical legs at this point, and he's. 
you know, doing his thing, they come together and we get this beautiful little moment where Bruce sees Natasha for the, for the first, first time. time in three years. Yeah. And yeah. it's as as poorly as that romance was received mm-hmm. in Age of Ultron, there are a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. I kind of dug it. I kind of I I really liked it because it was something we hadn't seen before and it no. was something that I thought was interesting because there's no real precedence for it in the comics or anything like that but it's these two people who couldn't be diff- couldn't be more different kind of coming together and seeing them have that little moment for me as a fan and as a fan of continuity I just I tore into I was like they have this beautiful little moment and um they kind of decide that they're gonna they're gonna go to Wakanda to kind of get the stone out of Vision's head, mm-hmm. more or less. And then we we get to nowhere, where um, Star Lord, Drax, uh, Gamora, and Mantis show up to kind of hopefully intercept Thanos or like get the stone before him and they see that Thanos is you know basically trying to get the stone from the collector and you finally get this moment because we've been waiting for it since you know 2014 with the first Guardians movie Drax has been talking about like nothing else like I'm gonna Mm -hmm. kill I'm gonna kill Thanos he killed my wife he killed my child he killed my entire planet like I'm gonna kill him right and as much as Drax has kind of become like a joke character, he got this raw kind of um, intensity about him that we really haven't seen since like his introduction in mm-hmm. the first Guardians movie. And I thought it was a great, great um, switch for him emotionally. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And then we've you know we have that moment where Gamora attacks Thanos stabs him in the neck and it's like oh god like yeah which is a great move by the way I felt like oh that was great yeah that was uh, you know when they talk about her being the most dangerous assassin in there I'm like oh wow that was that was slick yeah you got that one so yeah I thought that was uh, for me I agree with the Drax part of it but you know the Gamora part of it to me because before that, you know, there was a part when she and uh, Starlet are talking, and she says, "Hey, I can't. If if he gets me, you need to kill me because I know something." And then in a great piece of dialogue, he says, "Well, just tell me." And then she says, "I can't because if I tell you, then you'll know too." And it's such a great paradoxical moment, which I love. Um, and so I thought that was that that was really good. That really built upon their relationship. And if you hadn't seen Guardians, which everyone in the world has. You can still... And should have. Right, and should have. And Chris Pratt uh, and Zoe do a really great job in that moment oh, of so kind good. of talking about the relationship and just seeing what it means to her and then as a byproduct, how that reads onto him. You know, it's one of those things, if it's important to you, it's important to me. And and you get that moment. And so just to piggyback off of what you're saying about the first time that we see Thanos and, and, and Gamora and actually kind of go at him, to me that was like, oh shit, because you know there's this point in uh you know we watch game of thrones and and, then uh and uh, they talk about how you know you've now have principal characters 
in the same timeline that are are going against each other and that one of them will probably not live. And so at this point, and even throughout this movie, you have that constantly. And it all, yeah. you know, so so for me, this moment was like, oh man, this is going to suck if, if, you know, is this one of the main characters that we're going to lose? And right. then just to talk about that moment in your story. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, and I thought it was, and I totally forgot, we forgot, I forgot to go over, uh, the little origin scene for Gamora. Mm-hmm. Like you see little baby Gamora, not baby Gamora. She was like six or seven. She's like little, little kid Gamora. Yeah. Um, you yeah. see her getting introduced to Thanos for the first time. And you see this idea that he has about, um, basically putting people in half, splitting, splitting a group one side to one side and then he just wastes half the side. He wastes half the people in her village. And it's assumed half of the population on her planet. And you see him take her aside. You see him show her, I guess, his form of kindness. Where he gives her like a little blade and is like trying to teach her. Which was a wonderful little... Um, little moment where he's trying he's essentially teaching her yeah. his principles balance. in this yeah. of balance with trying to balance this knife on his finger which i thought was amazing mm-hmm. really great really well done but uh back to nowhere you find out after she kills thanos that it was an illusion and everything kind of melts away and you see that everything is on fire and i thought um Oh God! What is it? something Del Toro? Benicio. Benicio. Benicio Del Toro did a wonderful Charlie Chaplin in his physicality as yeah. a collector. In this, in this little bitty scene at the end, when the illusion's going away, he's his doing wave. his little wave, yeah. and you find out that Thanos already has the stone. He's already killed everyone there. He's already taken the stone, and you get to see him use the reality stone which is crazy at the first and shocking shocking absolutely Man, it was uh cuz you and i watched it the first at the same time and when he does what he does and i, I don't even know how to explain it to the to drax and to um mantis mantis it's like oh my god this is it's, it's uncomfortably like brutalistic i thought they were dead so did i yeah yeah i, I and but like not like dead in the way like the first Resident Evil that those lines cut that dude up into a billion oh, different yeah. pieces dead. Oh. Like it was that type of shocking to see. And and this is these are again going back to characters that you have been around with for the past four, five, six years. So yeah. it's jarring in, in a visual sense. So Absolutely. But yeah, and Yeah, and then you basically and then you also get to see this moment, because what you were talking about, this moment that Gamora and uh, Peter had where Thanos has Gamora. Has her. He's gonna leave with her and Star-Lord gets his gun up at Thanos and Gamora says, no. You promised. Mm -hmm. And so Star-Lord, like, through a lot of personal anguish, wonderful face acting in this scene, goes to shoot Gamora and it just comes out as bubbles. Bubbles. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. And for as dramatic a moment as that was, it gave it a little bit of brevity. Yeah. To... So they basically, they escape and Star-Lord, Drax, and Mantis are left in the 
fiery hell that is uh, nowhere. And so what I think this movie does really well is it balances essentially the three teams. We've got Team Cap heading to Wakanda. We've got uh, Team Iron Man kind of heading towards wherever they're going. Mm -hmm. And then now we've got Team Guardians, which also comprises of um, Thor Thor and them. And you find out that when they get to uh, Nadavalir, like Thanos was already there. Yeah, That's where Thanos got his gauntlet. And we get... I... Okay. We we get the um, the debut of um, of the soul dwarf left in Nadavalir, played by the incomparable Peter Dinklage. Yeah, how did you feel about him and his character? Uh, you know, I like Pete. I think he's great. Uh, I don't. His character was. I, I, I go back to what Chris Hemsworth's character brings to that. He can make any situation, he can find comedic value in any situation. And I think that for as as serious as it was, and it reminded me a lot of um, the first Lord of the Rings. And uh, when they're underground and right before they see the Balrog where they go through all of the, you know, all the the dwarfville and they're all dead. And here, it's funny, (laughs) of course, he's a giant. You know, the irony is that, you know, in life so for that in itself, it's like oh my god, and and then you, you said it, it's it's he's a giant in this thing. So, you know, I thought his character was interesting. I think that him and Chris Hemsworth were more interesting, right? You know, and I I, I I think they didn't really give him a whole lot. No, and I don't I don't think it was the best use of Peter Dinklage. No, but I I do think that their interactions between each other, and again jumping around. That moment when uh, when Thor is about to open up oh, the, the star, the star mm-hmm. and Peter Dinklage goes, you know this will kill you. And <laughs> Thor goes, only if I die. <laughs> and Peter Dinklage goes, yeah, that's what kill you means. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny because he's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, so they basically they do their thing. They and of course, jumping forward, they are able to restart the forges, mm-hmm. and they're able to craft Stormbreaker, which, as a longtime comic book fan, was really really exciting for me because Stormbreaker is a legit hammer in the comics, and it's wielded oh, by yeah. Beta Ray Bill, who is that. basically horse faced Thor. Mm. Beta Ray Bill comes from this. Um, this species of like horse-faced uh humanoids he's had like cybernetics attached to him and everything and he was the first character in comics to lift thor's hammer oh other than thor yeah so he was deemed worthy so they long story short they a new hammer was made for him called stormbreaker uh same concept same visual look and I was just really excited because I didn't know that they were going to go that route. And they end up crafting this Stormbreaker. And you see Groot, who up to this point has been kind of like, just kind of off to the side, just playing his video game. He makes an emotional growth where he turns his arm into the handle. But um, 
going back, we uh, we see Team Cap get to Wakanda. You get mm-hmm. these nice um, uh, these nice interactions. You see Bucky and Cap finally on the same page again, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm all all for Sebastian Stan taking over for Cap when this is all said and done. Nice. I don't know if it's gonna happen now, yes. but. Um, <laughs> But I I think it I think their relationship's great and I loved seeing Wakanda again after Black Panther. Yeah. Um I really and again it's that it's that music transition where it's like we know where we're going. Right. And it's like it picks up the Wakanda theme and they get everything ready, they get they get everybody ready, and Shuri, who is who was a breakout star in that film, mm-hmm. I thought she was wonderful. Um is kind of tasked with taking the stone from Vision's head. And so, meanwhile, we get to see... Um, we get to see the kind of payoff with Ebony Ma kind of torturing Doctor Strange to try to get the Time Stone away from him. And... <laughs> Peter shows up and kind of tells Tony, he's like, you know, technically this is your fault for giving me the suit. And I loved the dad moment where he's like, excuse me, what'd you say to me? <laughs> and, and so they come up with this plan. And again, Peter with the <laughs> pop culture reference. The really hey, old movie. <laughs> you ever see this really old movie called Alien? <laughs> and the plan works yeah you know as funny as it is peter is two for two with his pop culture Mm -hmm. plans and you know they end up blowing a hole in the side of the ship ebony ma gets sucked out and then again we get more banter with tony and dr strange which there's a line right here that i want to and again it's i love writing right there's this one line i wouldn't trade it for his life and your life yes you know and that comes in a big time later that will come in much much later but when he said that you didn't think much about it until later they do they they do a great job alluding to certain things but when when steven said that to them it just lets you know how how convicted and in his feelings because tony makes a good point you know tony's like why just flush down a garbage disposal and be done with it and then you know on the flip side i wanted to say this earlier cap when Cat, when Vision says, "If you just destroy the stone, that's it," then technically the gauntlet can never be fulfilled because the stone is, is destroyed. And Cap tells him, "We don't trade lies." And oh, that's such yeah, a you're right. that's such a Cap thing to say. Mm-hmm. And and you know, even for something that would probably save a whole bunch of lives, we're not going to trade at. We're going to and then and then you know goes into Shuri and Wakanda and all that stuff. But but yeah. So anyway, getting back to the whole uh, the Doc Strange and no, Iron and Man and, and I think you're absolutely right. The word that I was gonna. Uh, com- that I was thinking of was exactly that conviction. Mm-hmm. You see the conviction in his voice, how dedicated he is to protecting the stone. And he's like, if it comes down to it between you, the kid or the stone, I'm going to choose the stone right. every time. And you feel it. You feel yeah, that you this believe is exactly, you, you believe him. Exactly. And so they, uh, they hatch this plan to fight Thanos as like a surprise. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh no, what a cliffhanger. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with Tony, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man? What's going to happen with the Battle of Wakanda? What's going on? Now breathe. It's going to be okay. So what ended up happening was I was editing this episode and going over the full discussion and I realized, holy crap, we were talking about this for a very long time. 
So I decided to break up the discussion into two parts, kind of like Avengers 3 and Avengers 4. Um, because if I had put everything together, it just would have, the discussion would have ended up being just as long, if not longer than the actual movie. So don't worry, uh, we're going to jump right back into part two of the discussion should be uploaded the same day as part one so when you're done with this go ahead and click over to there and you will be able to jump right back in with us as we continue our discussion for the film so uh for geek explain this is eric azana thank you so much for listening and i will see you in part two